Welcome back to Streamageddon, the streaming TV podcast that is a servant of you, dear listener. I'm your host, Chris Barlow, and I am joined across the internet by Diane Nora. How are you doing this week, Diane? I'm doing great. Yeah, excited to be here. Uh, I am excited to be here. On Zoom. On Zoom, in the world, alive, uh, not in a nuclear hellscape as of yet, so I think we're doing pretty well, all things considered. Uh, We're recording this episode on the morning of Thursday, March 3rd, 2022, and I I feel like I have to timestamp it because we are going to touch on some current events this week, uh, all in service of our streaming review. Fear not, listeners, we have not suddenly morphed into the daily, uh, because one, the daily in the universe is enough. Uh, But instead, we're going to be talking about a Ukrainian uh, sitcom called Servant of the People. And if you are not familiar with Servant of the People, I have news for you. Uh, This show answers the question, what if we elected Martin Sheen president? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think uh, even though we are not the Daily, can I try my Michael Barbaro really quick? Oh, I would love it, please. Here's what else you need to know today. Oh, oh, you got the cadence right. Uh, what else <laughs> Thank you. you need to know today is that we will be discussing this show, which was created by and starring real Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky later in this episode. Uh, but first, we have a lot to get to, a lot of streaming news, and our first round of listener mail. I uh, was going to have a sound effect of Fraser Crane going, I'm listening, but I didn't have time to find that. So just imagine your best Fraser Crane going, I'm listening. And we're listening to you, dear readers, uh, listeners, dear listeners, it's early in the morning. We're listening to you when you write to us and we read your emails at Streamageddon. That is podcast at streamageddon.com. That's the email address. And our first piece of listener mail comes from Rick. And Rick asks me this question. Should I watch Murderville? Mm. Love a good question that is straightforward. uh, One sentence long. Uh, Diane, have you watched Murderville? I haven't, so I'm really glad that Rick asked this question because, (laughs) Chris, should I watch Murderville? Wow, so many questions. Uh, Well, if you, listener, don't know, Murderville is a Netflix comedy improv series starring Will Arnett as a grizzled big city detective named Terry Seattle. Uh, And each week, Terry Seattle solves another murder with a different celebrity guest star as his new partner. And the celebrity guest stars just play themselves. They aren't characters. The celebrity guest stars are people like Conan O'Brien, Sharon Stone, Annie Murphy, Kumail Nanjiani. They're just themselves. And the twist is that this show is actually kind of an improv game. There is a script, and uh, Will Arnett knows the script. The suspects who are being interviewed, they know the script, and they're doing scripted uh, bits to try to reveal clues to who is the killer. But the celebrity guest star partner has no idea what the script is. And so they are fully improving their way through the mystery. And then at the end of the episode, they have to guess which of the three suspects is the killer. And so uh, my answer to Rick and to you, Diane, uh, should you watch Murderville? Well, that depends on your feelings about improv, because it is an improv show. And uh, just like a Herald night at the UCB, some of the setups work and some of them do not work very well or uh, just kind of meander and get a little flabby. Uh, Some of the celebrity guest stars are actually very good at improv. Sharon Stone in particular, if you're just going to pick one episode to check out, I would go straight to Sharon Stone's episode. 
uh, truly a surprise and a delight. Uh, but then some of the celebrity guest stars are absolutely terrible at it. And and there's nothing you can really do about that. If you don't like improv, you're going to find that kind of painful to sit through, I think. Sure. I mean, we don't hear enough from Sharon Stone these days. I would love a Sharon stone on. So I think, I mean, that to me, I think I would jump in. I, I watched all six episodes. I really enjoyed the game of trying to pick out the clues because the the scripted part is the interviews with the suspects. And the suspects are comedy actors who are acting the role of their suspect. And there are deliberate clues set out. So like in one episode, uh, there's a coffee cup at the crime scene. And suddenly you're trying to pick up, well, which of the suspects are coffee drinkers and which of the suspects uh, you know, casually mention that they don't drink any coffee. And that helps you figure out whether or not they're the murderer and then at the end you get to see how closely the celebrity guest star was paying attention to the clues because to to be fair to them they're also being thrown all of these goofy improv things to do and so they're trying Mm -hmm. to both keep up with the improv and pick up on the clues and some of them are pretty good at it and some of them are absolutely terrible at that and that's also kind of fun Uh, so if any of that intrigues you I think Murderville's worth checking out it's sort of like doing a murder mystery night, except with your celebrity friends. That is exactly what it is. <laughs> that That's what Netflix has brought to the world. They have the budget to say, hey, Will Arnett, do you want to have a murder mystery party on camera for six episodes? Will Arnett is on my favorite Netflix property, Bojack Horseman. So oh, yes. I'm in. Yes. Easy sell. And he really has a Bojacky vibe in this show. Concerning, but still I'm in. <laughs> Well, Diane, you have a piece of listener feedback as well, yeah? I do. I spoke to listener Lindsay, who told me that she loves the show, but she did take issue with uh, one thing that we covered. Uh, We were discussing the um, Sonic the Hedgehog sequels upcoming uh, from Paramount's Paramount Plus. Yes, Paramount. Uh, Listeners may remember that we kind of asked who are these four? Who is watching all this Sonic content? And she told me that her twin five-year-olds are obsessed with Sonic. They love it so much. They don't stop talking about it. And they also love Knuckles, the echidna. I was a little nervous to say echidna. You nailed it. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, So uh, my follow-up to Lindsay was, well, is the first Sonic movie any good? And she said, nah. (laughs) Oh, that's great. I'm glad we're, we were right about one thing. Yeah. Uh, it didn't seem that anguished, not that good, like uh, Baby Shark parents are dealing with. Uh-huh. But, you know, you know, not maybe not the best. That's Still, just fine. it has its audience. <laughs> that's just fine. Uh, well, interesting, interesting thoughts about Sonic. I am still looking forward to the Knuckles Echidna streaming series on Paramount+, Plus, which I also assume will not be very good, but I, I'm a Knuckles stan. I am here for it. Uh, but that is enough listener mail. If you want to write into us, again, it's podcast at streamageddon.com, or you can find us on Twitter. And now we have follow-up to get to, and I want to move quickly because Servant of the People is just the only thing I want to think about this week. Uh, but before we get to that, let's talk about some Netflix news. We previously talked about how uh, Netflix's Marvel shows, the Defenders series, were leaving Mm -hmm. Netflix. They're officially gone. It's March. And we knew that they were going to Disney Plus in Canada. We wondered whether they would also go to Disney Plus in America or if Disney had some kind of weird machinations involving Hulu. 
uh, well, that galaxy brain theory was completely bonkers because no, they are coming to Disney Plus in America. Uh, it is officially reported on Deadline that that date is March 16th. So March 16th, you'll be able to watch Jessica Jones, Daredevil, those other ones on Disney Plus. That's interesting to me because I think it signals that Disney Plus might include some more adult content. And adult content, and meaning like content for adults. Adults, not like <laughs> pornography. <laughs> that would be a twist. Um, but, you know, I, I think that a lot of people have been wondering about how they'll maintain that Disney brand with, you know. Yeah. The Disney brand mature... is it's growing up, you know, mm -hmm. like all of us. Growing old, getting interested in gritty crime dramas, and Encanto. They just go hand in hand. It's so catchy. I know, right? Uh, that's the Disney Plus side of things. Let's look at the other plus, Paramount Plus. Little bit of news about Paramount Plus, because we just love to talk about Paramount Plus on this show. Maybe Paramount Plus is our new peacock? I don't know. Uh, Paramount Plus is celebrating a birthday, I guess? I don't know if this is the birthday of Paramount Plus or the birthday of CBS All Access, which is what it originally was called. I, You know what? I don't care, because the, the anniversary means that you can get 80% off three months of Paramount Plus, which means Paramount Plus could be a dollar a month for you for three months. But that's enough time to binge, uh, you know, like Star Trek Lower Decks or some other, uh, oh, The Good Fight. You could binge all of The Good Fight in three months and then drop it. I, I just think, hey, there's enough good content on Paramount Plus. You would be a fool not to spend three bucks to binge some really good Michelle King, you know, courtroom drama. Who doesn't want to streamline some Baranski? I know, right? Just, oh, mm, mm. I, I'm, I'm literally planning my, like, good... Listen, the good fight, great. I am a good wife stan, though. And so this immediately has oh, me planning on a good wife rewatch that will consume three full months of my life. I'm excited to hear your refreshed takes and theories. <sighs> oh, it's a, it's a big journey. I've done it before. I'll do it again. Uh, and we have one more piece of follow-up. Uh, about our favorite sitcom right now, Abbott Elementary. Mm, it's off this week. It's on a mid-season hiatus. But, uh, Diane, you found this great article. Quinta Brunson revealed that Disney agreed to redirect some of their promotional budget to buy school supplies for actual teachers. Uh, and one, amazing. Two, I think that also speaks to the fact that they don't need to spend so much on promoting themselves right now because the word of mouth on that show is crushing it. Oh, yeah. I um, Everyone I've talked to that's seen it has great things to say. I haven't talked to anyone so far who's like, meh, you know? No, the most, I've, the most meh I've heard is somebody who said, it took me a few episodes to get into it, and now I love it. And, and honestly, I think that's, that's great. Um, you know, you do wonder at first, it is a network sitcom. Is it going to hook you, or is it going to feel same-same every episode? But no, no, that's got its hooks in me. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm ready for more. And I hope that they announce soon season two. Come on. Come on. It has to happen. Yeah. It has to. It will. I'm just yes. impatient. Yes. Uh, well, that is enough follow-up. We have some more new news to get to. So let's get to the news. And to be clear, we're not talking about the news news. There's enough news news. And we will touch on some of that later when we get to Servant of the People. But first... HBO News. Everybody likes HBO News. Uh, HBO just finished season two of Euphoria. Are you a Euphoria fan? You know, I, I'm i not. I am not an anti-fan. I just uh, didn't watch enough of it to get hooked. Um, 
I am curious about it because there are people now telling me that they love Euphoria who I don't, I wouldn't have expected it, um, who don't usually go in for like soapy teen melodramas. Right. Um, it's the uh, prestige soapy teen melodrama. Mm-hmm. Are you a fan? I'm in the same boat as you. I've, I've started season one and didn't get hooked, found other things I wanted to watch more and kind of fell off. And now everybody will not stop talking about season two. And I feel very much out of the conversation. Well, you're good fighting. I might have to euphoria. Circle back. Oof. Okay, we'll report back at each other. But the news to report to you, dear listener, is that uh, the season two finale of Euphoria set a ratings uh, ratings record for the show, 6.6 million viewers across HBO and HBO Max on Sunday night. And uh, that makes it the highest viewed uh, series short of Game of Thrones, if I have that right. This is from Mm -hmm. Variety. Uh, And since the beginning of season two, season two's premiere has approached 19 million viewers. Uh, that is pretty good, to say the that least. That is. Though, looking at it, says that Game of Thrones pulled in an average of 46 million viewers across its eighth and final season. So, I mean, it is in second place, but there's still second. room for growth. Yes, a distant yeah. second. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if HBO, to be honest, will ever have another Game of Thrones in terms of cultural zeitgeist. I, 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 you know, you could make a lot of arguments for the the cultural zeitgeist will never be that focused on a singular show again. Yeah, with the glut of stuff out there, how could it? I mean, yeah. we will obviously be proven wrong when some other show, like the Knuckles of the Echidna Paramount Plus show, becomes a 50 million you know viewership uh, juggernaut that everyone talks about and has viewing parties for. I'm, I'm just betting on that now. But I agree. I do feel like there's just been so much um, diversification in the streaming landscape since Game of Thrones was introduced. And yeah, the last season wasn't that long ago, but that was the, you know, the climax of a, almost a decade of momentum. I, I still remember going to bars to watch uh, live episodes of Game of Thrones being mm-hmm. projected through somebody's HBO Go account many, many years ago. That is how uh, obsessed uh, people were. That was what, it was true appointment viewing. Absolutely. I was so interested in it that I didn't want to go to their the bars to watch I like insisted on watching at home because it would get too noisy yeah everyone was like rowdy about Game of Thrones and I was like they're so quiet when they speak I have to listen closely then later they were so dark when they fought that we had to squint to see them covers up the bad CGI yeah it does Uh, But, you know, with all the buzz around Euphoria, it is close to appointment viewing. I will say a lot of people at my day job, they are uh, always uh, checking in on how far are you in season two? Can I spoil what happened this week for you? Can we talk about it yet or not? So that's getting close to the Game of Thrones level of uh, commitment. Uh, But despite all of this, despite all of this uh, viewership, you sent me a link that on Twitter, the most unexpected show has trounced euphoria in buzz on Twitter. And that show is the Screen Actors Guild Awards. I guess it speaks to the power of a red carpet that people will tweet pictures of beautiful people in beautiful clothes. Yes, 
I also think uh-huh. it speaks to the, the media obsessions of Twitter. That Twitter is obsessed with the story about the media. You know, th- there's plenty of people who like to tweet about their favorite show, but what people really want to tweet about is the buzz around their favorite shows, which means the awards and the renewals and the network drama, because Twitter is mostly populated by media junkies. And those media junkies should check out Streamageddon. They really should. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can tweet about us at hashtag Streamageddon. I can't get that handle at Streamageddon because somebody else has it. So just hashtag Streamageddon and tell people to subscribe. Yeah, we'll find you. There's more HBO news I want to touch on real quickly, though, uh, about another show near and dear to our hearts, I know, The White Lotus. I think it's so perfect that this is coming up this week because we're talking about another satire, but uh, White Lotus season two is going uh, to be in Sicily. Yes, and they reveal just a few more details. We knew it had been renewed after it was a smash Mm -hmm. hit last summer. Uh, This uh, this season is going to still take place on location. They're filming at another Four Seasons resort, which is what they did for the first season in Hawaii. Uh, There is one one returning character and I I love this approach because it's kind of an anthology show but there is some connective tissue to follow through and most importantly that connective tissue is Jennifer Coolidge. Jennifer Coolidge is returning as Tanya and that is all I need to know to book out all seven episodes on my calendar. Will not you know plan anything that night. That is my appointment viewing. Oh, absolutely. She's so great in that role. Still so broad and comedic, but so nuanced and captivating. And she's just, I just can't look away when she's on screen. Same, same. And this season uh, is one episode longer than last season. Last season, six episodes. This season, seven episodes. So more Tanya, more White Lotus. The fact that it's seven and not going up to eight or ten still sounds very intentional to me. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe the network was like, give us a little more. Can you give us a little more? But Mike White was still like, this is what my story needs, is how I'm imagining that right. interaction I would went. love to know Which, that that negotiation. Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe he was just like, I need seven. And, and they, they were like, absolutely. Are you sure you don't need 12? Right. <laughs> Uh, but that sounds to me like I, I thought that the first season was pretty tight in plotting yeah. and suspense. So I'm really excited. Also excited to see HBO favorite Christopher Moltisanti himself, Michael Imperioli, is going to be in the yes. season. Stacked, stacked cast. Oh, yeah. Well, moving from one stacked cast to another more nostalgic stacked cast. See what I did there? Uh, the mm-hmm. Office. Uh, iconic sitcom of the 2000s. Many people uh, love that cast of characters. And uh, one of The Office's creators, Greg Daniels, uh, did an interview with Collider magazine where he revealed his idea for what could be an Office spinoff or reboot if one was ever created. To be clear, this was purely hypothetical. And uh, the key detail here is that stacked cast that you know and love would have nothing to do with it. Uh, he described it as a Mandalorian-style uh, show where where it takes place in the same universe, but with a character you've never met before or is you know has been out in the periphery. Um, I I think sure that that's 
okay, you could make that show. I don't know why you would make that show or why you would need to associate it with the universe of The Office. Is it because we're going to have Jim and Pam show up in, like, the season finale like Luke did and the man? Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm a little lost on why you would do that. It also seemed, I mean, they did that with Parks and Rec, or they started to, and then they made it its own thing. But Parks and Rec was originally going to be like sort of a sequel to The Office, and then they took it in a different direction. But I think that that maybe mistakes what people loved so much about The Office um, was, you know, those specific characters. But I would give Greg Daniels a shot with a new set of, you know, eccentric lovable characters you know i wouldn't rule it out i try i tune yeah in. i guess mike I, I would give greg daniels a shot at pretty much any concept he wants to try uh but i wonder why would you need to root this in the universe of the office or compare it to the office because then you're just inviting those comparisons from viewers and if what they loved was the cast and the dynamic well none of that's there so why are you setting them up for that comparison Right. And frankly, anything that Greg Daniels makes is going to be compared to The Office anyways. That's true. Be- because it was it's such a huge hit. So really, I mean, any workplace comedy that comes out is kind of getting compared to The Office. Forever yeah. It's going to get compared to The Office. Yeah. So. And anyway, Greg Daniels is too busy making Space Force and uh, Upload. That's on Netflix and Amazon, respectively. He doesn't have time for another show right now, though I imagine that after reading this article, some executive at NBC is uh, counting how many bags of money they could throw into the back of a pickup truck and drive to his uh, you know, house. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear more about that soon. I, in a way, I would be surprised if we didn't. It felt awfully intentional to dangle that in an interview and say, you know, mm-hmm. if NBC ever wanted to, I'd be up for that. I'd take a cool few million for that. Right? Listen, they have, they have, they are literally planning on setting the dump truck full of money on fire for Peacock in the next two years. I, I, this, the timing cannot be a coincidence. That would get people to Peacock. I mean, I think it is one of the biggest driving forces between the different tiers is of Peacock. Some... Yeah, is that yes. they paywalled a lot of the office seasons. <laughs> clever, clever. Uh, Well, that's one show that is completely hypothetical, may never come out. But let's talk about another show that is going to come out and is also still full of nostalgia. That show is Futurama. Were you a Futurama fan, Diane? I've always enjoyed it when I watched it, and I've watched a fair amount of it. I mean, but um, it wasn't, it was never, you know, appointment viewing or something that I intentionally binged. I I am a deep lover of Futurama all the way back to 1999 when the original run premiered on Fox. I I watched that pilot live. Uh, That show, if you somehow don't remember, is from Matt Groening, creator of The Simpsons. Uh, It was originally aired in uh, 1999 on Fox and was canceled in 2003. It's set in the 31st century. Uh, A pizza delivery guy named Fry gets frozen and uh, defrosted in the 31st century in New York City and has to make a new life with a a zany cast of sci-fi characters. Um, I I have such deep, deep love for this show. And it came back to Comedy Central after it was originally canceled. So it ran from uh, 1999 to 2003 on Fox. It ran on Comedy Central from 2008 to 2013. Then it was canceled again. And now Hulu's going to bring it back for a third run starting in 2023. And the big drama was that uh, voice actor John DiMaggio, who plays Bender the Bending Unit, uh, he was not going to come back. 
he wanted a, a pay raise both for him and the rest of the core cast and so they were going to go ahead without him which i think would have absolutely poisoned uh, the revival i just can't imagine watching that show with uh, an imposter bender even if they made a thing of it even if they found a way to explain it uh, and i'm sure they would find an in-universe way to do it that would be kind of funny but it just it would kind of taint the the you know it would taint it to, there's nothing else to say there It'd be like trying to reboot Sex in the City without Samantha. Woo! <laughs> well, you know, I have good news then. Because uh, John DiMaggio is coming back to Futurama. They, they found some kind of agreement. The details are mysterious. And Deadline said that they hear the pay raise is minimal at best. That's the quote from Deadline. Uh, but he's coming back. And honestly, that's all I care about. Uh, but it, it does lead me to a quick question I wanted to ask you, Diane. Uh, you know, it'll be 10 years since the show ended, and the Comedy Central seasons were kind of uneven. For a while, they tried uh, doing these TV movies that now air as kind of uh, serialized episodes that are kind of odd, but, but still, you know, Futurama at heart. Then the final seasons were actually pretty good, and the series finale was one of their best episodes uh, of all time. And it left open the possibility that they'd come back, but it also put a really nice button on the show. Um, and then... You know, in the past 10 years, the sci-fi animated comedy genre has really evolved a lot. We have Rick and Morty. We have Solar Opposites. A lot of movement there that has um, made me wonder, do we need Futurama to come back? Or would it be better if those people, uh, you know, opened up the space for a new show? Maybe from some of the same creators and some of the same voice actors because they're fantastic. But is it is it really time to bring back something that is you know, over 20 years old. I think that's always a gamble. And it seems like there's a real move of late, of course, to just rehash old IP instead of investing in new projects. Uh, and I, I, I do think it's a shame, especially since it ended well, to... Um, th- there's a possibility that it'll be great and I will, you know, eat my words. I I hope um, it is great. To be clear, I I love the show and I want it to succeed, but I worry that they're kind of sucking the uh, oxygen out of the the space where a new show in the vein of Futurama could exist. Yeah, and as you said, I would absolutely be, I would be more excited for a new work from many of the same creators and then bringing in some new collaborators maybe. But, and also I, I, I do hope that the pay raise is more significant than they hinted at. Right. I, I, yeah, that's a good question, and I'm sure he, he was told not to divulge too many details. Uh, but we'll see. Coming in 2023, uh, and I look forward to it then. Uh, now we're going to take like a hard left turn in the news to talk about CNN Plus and CNN, the cable news network. That's like really, whoo, our favorite streaming service, CNN Plus, which doesn't exist yet, but it's coming really soon. So CNN Plus. If you didn't know, listener, there was some big drama at CNN last month where uh, the head of CNN was fired over what was ostensibly uh, an undisclosed relationship with a subordinate, though it led to a lot of internal turmoil with the talent at CNN who really liked their boss. And there there were a lot of questions about how uh, this would get handled as CNN, a subsidiary of Warner, 
is merging with discovery. So on top of all of this, there's not just a change in leadership at CNN specifically, but the entire Warner Discovery merger going on. And so there were a lot of questions about how this would be handled. Would they lose talent who were upset with the direction things were going now that they lost their their beloved Zucker? But uh, interestingly, David Zasloff, my favorite media executive, uh, head of Discovery, uh, has made a move that seems to be calming the turmoil pretty quickly. And that move is hiring Stephen Colbert's executive producer to be the new head of CNN. And that is both a very interesting turn of phrase. Uh, This is uh, the late show's executive producer going over to run the cable news network. But at the same time, Chris Licht, the EP of uh, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, actually has a huge background in both morning news and cable news. He was the uh, showrunner for uh, CBS This Morning when it rebooted and actually had a pretty successful reboot. Uh, That's what he did right before coming to Colbert. And if people don't remember, when he came to Colbert about six years ago, Colbert's ratings were really down, and they were struggling to kind of find their footing after he took over for David Letterman. And Chris Licht, uh, you know, famously did not interfere with the content or the writing of the show, but really brought like a, a management organization to the show and a focus on uh, results. And that has apparently been, you know, hugely successful. He's beloved by Stephen Colbert and the the uh, writers on that show, uh, by all reports. And so he apparently is a great operator, like really good at working with his talent and really good at getting results for his, you know, employers. Uh, he also created Morning Joe on MSNBC. He has just such a strange, interesting resume to me. And uh, is apparently people are pretty excited that he's going to take over CNN. To me, yeah, the, the Late Show is the outlier there. When yeah, right? I first started moving from Late Show to CNN, I was like, weird to go from comedy, but actually sort of the, the comedy late night slot seems to be the, the, the oddball in the resume. Though, um, you know, I think what talent wants to hear often is we're going to let you do what you want to do. Maybe, maybe this will uh, calm some angry anchors. Hopefully, as CNN is actually uh, firing on all cylinders right now with their coverage of the Ukraine war, uh, a lot of the rumors around Chris Lick's uh, takeover is that uh, he's going to try to focus them more on hard news and a little less on primetime punditry and opinion. Uh, and I think that's probably a smart move. Uh, the The challenge there, and CNN's been through this before, is when there's not a lot of interesting hard news going on, what do you put in prime time to get people to watch? You you put in people screaming political opinions, because that is what, what people who watch cable news watch in prime time. So I wonder how sustainable that is, but I think that's the smart move, because people are sick of primetime punditry, both on the left well, not maybe not so much on the right, but I, I honestly think we've been through a decade of MSNBC versus Fox News and CNN kind of like staking out opinions in the middle. And, and I don't know, it's a little same-same. So weirdly, hard news seems like a refreshing change of pace for that kind of primetime news slot. I'm fine with it being hard news. In fact, I'd prefer it and perhaps actually watch it if, if, it, if that's right. what it is. If what they're calling hard news is actually a push even further to center, which in terms of US politics means further right. I'm concerned about that. Um, We don't need any more bad propaganda. But you know, I, I should, I'm open to the possibility of, of actual news. 
being right. on cable. And there's so many questions to unpack there. Like, what's the difference between, you know, news and just like both sides-ism? Uh, and right. we won't know until Chris Lick takes over and actually sees what he's doing there. But we can say uh, CNN's been doing really good reporting on the war in Ukraine, with the exception of the Applebee's commercial scandal. I, if you have not seen that, I yeah, just watched uh, last week tonight with John Oliver from last weekend, and it, you will get that clip in the beginning, and then you will see them make fun of it mercilessly for about three more minutes, and that's better than we could ever do here. Uh, but but that is not because CNN's not good at their job. That's because sometimes a commercial slots in really inappropriately during a war. Yeah, though, I, what news segment would that have been appropriate with? I mean, to be honest, Another. that commercial is so bad. I'm like, where where did you ever think it made sense on CNN? Who who thought that was good programming on the ad sales side? But we'll put that aside. It did not uh, look good next to the air raid sirens over Kiev. Uh, but then again, does Applebee's ever look good? It doesn't. There we go. And, you know, that brings us to the war in Ukraine. We are now tiptoeing into some current events. Uh, and to start, we got to talk about just a few uh, big things happening with uh, streaming companies. Uh, multiple movie studios, including Warner and Disney, are, have stopped their releases in Russia uh, in protest for the war in Ukraine. And uh, Roku and DirecTV have both pulled RT, which, if you're not familiar, is basically the Russian state propaganda channel. It's the Russian news channel that is run by the Kremlin. I think it's Russia Today, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it translates yeah. into. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, weirdly, I have a little bit of experience with RT because I traveled to China a few years back, and in China, the like, you, you know, if you're at a Western hotel, you can watch CNN International, but if you're at like a, a real Chinese hotel, the international news channel they have for you to watch is RT, and so I have seen some subtitled coverage of uh, the world events as presented by RT. And they make Fox News look truly fair and balanced by comparison. I just hope that OAN and our other networks don't get too much inspiration as RT continues to be in the news. Yeah, right. Uh, so, you know, that's some interesting developments there. We'll, we'll ha- you know, we'll obviously all see what direction this goes and how long the war plays out, how long these companies can uh, stay uh, divorced from Russian media. Uh, Netflix also announced that they're declining to carry 20 Russian propaganda channels, essentially, that they are required to by Russian law. And so does that mean Russia's going to, you know, ban Netflix from the country for not complying with the law? There are a lot of questions there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that seems like they're they're ma- they're taking that risk. I was um, very pleased to see this this media news that uh, all these companies coming forward for um, a few days on Netflix. Every time they would post something on social media, um, every comment beneath it would be like a flurry of comments. People saying like ban Russian propaganda, ban Russian propaganda, ban Russian propaganda, and so I. It may have been something they were already considering, but I imagine as they were trying to announce new programming that, you know, that might have had some effect. Yeah, Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of questions about what were they uh, gearing up to do anyway Anyway, and how much did the outpouring of support, because truly there's been a real global outpouring of support for Ukraine. Uh, how much has that influenced decisions at these companies? And if it's even influenced it a little bit, I think it speaks a lot to the power of uh, people speaking out on Twitter of all places, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, there is no better time for us to talk about our review of the week. 
uh, this show originally aired in 2015 and has a theme song I cannot get out of my head, so please enjoy a little snippet of the theme of Servant of the People. So when I sing it to myself, I just mumble things that sound like, you know, a foreign language. I'm like, yes, a bloop a doop a doo, la boop a doop a doo. Uh, and if you can't hear, there's some like sound effects in that that music. The actual opening sequence is uh, Vladimir Zelensky in character bike riding to his job as president of Ukraine, uh, which is a ch- absolutely like charming and on tone for the show. It's perfect for the show as an opening credit sequence. It really tells you everything you need to know about who this character is. Uh, and, and I guess we should explain who is this character, uh, servant of the people created by and starring Vladimir Zelensky, uh, is about a Ukrainian school teacher in his 30s who goes on a rant uh, about the corrupt politics of his country. One of his students films it and uploads it to YouTube, where he becomes a sensation and then runs for president using money crowdfunded from his students uh, who, who launched a, like, you know, kind of like a Ukrainian GoFundMe campaign to pay for the registration fees to run for president. And then he wins in a landslide. And somehow I knew that he was a comedian, but I did not know this, um, uh, uh, like this, that he specifically had played the president, yeah. which is kind of amazing. I mean, we did have a slur of like, um, in the 2010s, a bunch of populist leaders coming to power, and several of them did have entertainment backgrounds. You know, think of like Bebe Grillo or um, uh, Donald Trump, someone else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but um, you know, I I haven't followed Ukrainian news as closely as I should have, though. Um, you know, somewhat, but uh, mostly, you know, certainly more so in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, uh, we'll get more into our thoughts about the pilot in a minute. But one of the most fascinating things about this is he uh, created this show, was a huge hit in Ukraine. And then from the show, he started a political party called Servant of the People and then ran for president with an unorthodox campaign that relied mostly on the Internet uh, and his uh, you know, popularity, his comedy and his touring instead of the traditional campaign stops and interviews. And then he wound up winning the Ukrainian presidency in a landslide with, again, the political party that he had just created that was named after the TV show. This truly is like, what if the West Wing party announced its candidacy and we were electing President Martin Sheen next week? Like, it is that close to, uh, you know, a parallel. Um I, I'm obsessed with his rise to power, but then I watched the show and I'm even more obsessed with the show. I really also, with it just like headline of the review, the show's great and yeah. watch. <laughs> yeah, and what's great um, is right now in the US, you can watch uh, at least the entire first season on YouTube because there is no distribution uh, for the show in America right now. And so the episodes are posted on an official YouTube channel. They're subtitled in English, easy to watch. Uh, you can definitely watch it on your, your computer, but if you've got a smart TV with a YouTube app, you can just you know put it on TV. Currently, a lot of international markets are signing distribution deals for it because surprise, surprise, the show is experiencing a major resurgence in popularity as 
uh, all eyes turn to both Ukraine in general and Zelensky in particular, because he's become kind of a war hero overnight uh, with his stand in Kiev and his, uh, you know, really public calling for uh, world support and the EU in particular. I, I mean, the, the guy, unsurprisingly, given his background, really knows how to effectively communicate and um, is really good at his messaging to say the least. Agreed on all points. I was feeling some discomfort with the the fact that he was sort of turning into the internet's boyfriend. Uh, I saw a lot of people talking about how they had crushes on him. I'm not criticizing those people. I'm just saying it. And it it happens sometimes with politicians. I think it happened with uh, Justin Trudeau a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Mostly it happens with other celebrities. My concern is that sometimes when we have those sort of parasocial relationships when they turn um you know we love them until we actually discover we love to hate them um and given the current moment i hope that uh people can you know continue uh admiring his art admiring his comedy and you know admiring all the leadership that he's shown in the past few weeks um but also keeping like a certain level of distance with the way that we're, I don't know. Well, it's even more complicated here because, you know, there's also Zelensky, the internet celebrity that everyone's falling in love with right now. And then there's his character on Servant of the People. And it's really easy in those situations uh, to to think, oh, he is his character, especially because they, they parallel so closely the outsider who goes on a, a rant about the corrupt politics and then vows to change it from the inside. Like, th- it is really easy to mix up who he plays in the show with who he is in real life. And they are different people, even though they follow really similar paths. Yeah, I'm I'm both partaking in the extreme fascination with this person and like trying not to become a stan Uh of any politician yeah i think that's wise advice wise advice yeah yeah remembering that that grain of distance yeah but but listen i am a stan of his character in the show because the show does an amazing job of establishing him as a super ordinary middle achieving high school teacher that kind of person who would actually fit in perfectly on Abbott Elementary he's devoted to his students really wants to teach them the the you know real history not whatever is required by the tests or whatever his superiors really want uh to push in terms of ideology but like I'm trying to teach you the facts of history and I think history is important and I think you'll learn and grow from it like he seems at his core in the show to be a really devoted teacher and then gets a lot of shit from his family about being kind of not that successful because guess what in ukraine just like in america you don't make a lot of money being a teacher no there's actually a great joke in the first act of the pilot where his father is telling him he should go on the dole uh like going on unemployment Uh, and he is (laughs) and he says you know you'd actually make more money on the dole so (laughs) instead of as a teacher which I think is a good example of, of the tone that the show takes. Like it is like funny and there are silly moments, but there's definitely always a, a strong political undercurrent. Yeah, there really is. Uh, it is true, like political satire. The, the series actually opens with a brief scene of these three shady 
oligarchs standing over, you know, some balcony in Kiev somewhere talking about how they're going to pick the next president. And each of them has backed somebody. And it doesn't matter which one wins because the, the rich oligarchs will, will be in charge either way. And that, that sets the tone as well for like, this is the world we're going into, a world where people, ordinary people see the political system as rigged by the wealthy and that the wealthy think they control it all. And even once uh, Zelensky's character wins the election, the outgoing president still thinks that he has somehow been bought off. Like as the, the episode mm-hmm. follows uh, Zelensky through his uh, basically first day on the job as the outgoing president takes him through all the duties and takes him to all of these different events and appointments. And near the end of the episode, the outgoing president asks him, like, you know, he says, you know, that line about crowdfunding your campaign money, that was a really good line. But who really paid you off? And and the answer is crowdfunding. But nobody would nobody believes that that's the world of this show is surely that that isn't the case. And I also believe that the way that the show has set up these oligarch characters, they're shot in a really interesting way where you don't ever get like a full view of their faces that's in focus. It's a lot of shot like close ups on their mouth, um, on their um, like maybe the side of an eye. There are their glasses when they're having drinks. And there's another scene when they're eating where it's just really uh, like all this indulgent caviar and um it's very uh, evocative, but also, um, you know, there's still a lot of mystery around them, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, but I think that because there are some things that uh, Vasily, the um, correct the main character, I have to stop calling him Zelensky because I'm doing exactly what I said we shouldn't do, which is conflating <laughs> the character with the man. Vasily, the the new president of Ukraine on the television show we're discussing. He there are certain things where he's being fooled by the system too. Like it, he is um, a teacher of history and he knows a lot of what to expect. He's expecting corruption. He wants to change these things, but there are certain moments that uh, the, they're working him too. Um, the people, the people who've been in charge for so long. Uh, so when, you know, I think that there is a possibility that like, despite the the crowdfunding of it all, there may have been some other foul play Elements. involved. Yeah, yeah. That we could discover. Like, like they've opened the possibility of a twist there. Absolutely. Although there's a great moment with the uh, the you know again kind of the faceless oligarchs where they're having a meeting together and each one of the oligarchs thinks that Vasily was the the choice of one of the other oligarchs. Mm-hmm. They're each sitting in a room going, "Well, you know, you did such a good job propping up this guy. What are we going to do with him?" And the other oligarch goes, "No, you did such a good job propping up this guy." And they all realize none of them propped up this guy. Yeah. So, so something else is going on here, which I think that is cool to see the the real life parallel that happened with this like populist movement taking hold uh one thing i want to get into is kind of just you know mechanically the structure of this pilot because it is a, a really good pilot forget the the world events shaping our opinion of it right now uh, this is a, like a kind of standard 30-minute sitcom. Uh, the pilot is a double-length episode. So the pilot runs about 45 minutes uh, when you watch it without commercials. And uh, the structure is that we almost immediately get thrown into 
him winning the presidency. And then through flashbacks in the episode, we see the backstory of his rant, of the video going up on social media, of his students crowdfunding the money to run for office. All of that is told to us in little flashbacks through the episode that help fill in, well, how did we get here? But I love that the episode really begins with him, you know, he lives with his parents and his cousin or niece. I think it's his niece. Yeah. Niece, yeah. Uh, and he's getting ready for his day at work. He's fighting over the bathroom with his niece. And he is literally taking a dump when the current outgoing president shows up to announce that he's won the election. And that is how we meet yeah. this character and how his day begins. Like, that is a great entrance into the chaos of the, what what this would be if it really happened to you in reality. If you suddenly were told you are the president, you would be caught with your pants down, literally. Or figuratively, yeah. but in this case, literally. I, I loved that the structure is, you know, it is a double episode, but it is still really tight in yeah. terms of how it's laid out and, and, and the acts and everything. Um, but it also has the structure of like a classic satire. If anyone has read like Aristophanes plays um, or seen them, I suppose, uh, it really feels like the beginning of the clouds kind of where you have the, this fight between, you know, a father and son, and then he goes off to this other place. I'm guessing that the creators knew their knew their satire <laughs> um, yeah. pretty pretty well yeah um which you know was satisfying to me we don't get that much scripted satire here i mean we had veep which was you know i i was a big fan personally Absolutely, me too. um and we still we have other satires that i would call social satire like something like white lotus but you know a lot of our satire here is like in the late night realm or um you know something like the daily show and even Stephen Colbert. Yeah. yeah yeah i would be really excited if the popularity of this meant we'd get more more political satire over here in terms of scripted content yeah and Just i and one big difference i thought about veep a lot when i was watching this pilot in this pilot, at least, I want Vasily to be president. Vasily seems like a good guy who might be overwhelmed by the job, might have to compromise his morals for the job. A lot of questions there. But I want him to be president. Veep, I don't really want Selena Meyer to be president. Maybe I do a bit in the early seasons, but as that show goes on, and in very intentionally, that show leaves you with the feeling of, you know, she would be a bad president. She would make the wrong decisions for the wrong reasons. And that is a commentary on our political system, to say the least. But I would love a, a political satire that takes a less uh, truly cynical tone. And one not necessarily like hopeful, but one that's a little more, you know, uh, uh, let's say down to earth, where there's somebody who I feel like I understand and want to, to win instead of I understand and they're craven and full of, um, you know, egotistical uh, motivation. Right. Selena Meyer of Veep is probably just a clinical narcissist, ultimately. Yeah. Which um, is hilarious. And, hilarious. And basically everyone is. It's so funny. Almost everyone is incompetent and self-serving, which I do think speaks to uh, the creator of that show, Iannucci's worldview, and also, you know, our political system, I would be a little apprehensive about like a feel good yes, show. Yes, I think this yeah. one pulls it off because it's it doesn't shy away from the uh, incredible corruption that Ukrainians deal with. Um, but I think 
I would be concerned about that happening here. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it, it, there's so many landmines there. Like, feel good isn't the thing I'm really looking for. That wouldn't be right. And I also would be really skeptical of a show about an outsider becoming yeah. the president because that is too on the nose and we've done it in reality and it was it was in fact so absurd it kind of ruined political comedy for a few years so I, I I struggle to see the American version of this but I would like to see more people try there are two American films that this kind of plot has uh, there's a movie called Dave about an ordinary guy I love president. that movie and there's also um the American president which mm-hmm. uh, is that Sorkin yeah. one that sort of in, in a lot of ways is like a precursor to the West Wing, I think. Um, but I, I'm just going to say I have deep respect and admiration for Aaron Sorkin, and I hope they do not let him put his hands anywhere near this show. Oh, oh, you, oh, the idea of like, oh, we're doing a Western reboot of Servant of the People with Sorkin penning the episodes. I'd scream. You know they do it. You oh, know they it. would. They would. And it would be on HBO Max. Uh, oh, jeez. Oh, my God. Um, Sorry to scare everyone. Yeah, that's a nightmare. There's a lot to be scared of in the world right now. And that might be the scariest thing I've heard all week. But this show, not scary. I really enjoyed a lot of the humor in this show because a lot of it is political satire, but a lot of it is also kind of broad sitcom humor. It, it walks a nice line between the two. Uh, as we mentioned before, Vasily lives with his parents, and his parents really have this, like, sitcom parents vibe. They remind me of the parents on, like, Everybody Loves Raymond or George Costanza's parents on Seinfeld. There's something about them where even though I they don't get a lot of screen time and obviously I don't understand all of the language humor because some of it is double entendres that don't translate through subtitles, their their tone is so clear and funny that I, I immediately understand where they're coming from. And they go on this kind of B story about getting all these calls, congratulating them on Vasily's victory. And then they're immediately promising government jobs to all of these like you know, relatives and acquaintances. And then he comes home for dinner that night and they're trying to have a birthday dinner for his niece. But every time they go to toast his niece, his parents redirect the toast at how much they love Vasily and how proud they are of Vasily and how Vasily's so great. And there is there is a thing of like, yeah, I've seen that character type before and it is universal. Oh, yeah. I love that they were leaning into those archetypes. And I think that they'll have space as the show continues with the humor to like continue continue to humanize those characters. I was a little concerned about missing some of the jokes or even just the fact that it's in Russian. Um, Russian speakers speak more quickly than we do, and even it, with subtitles. In particular, the parents do. The, the speed of the dialogue in their scenes really ratchets uh, up as part of, I think, the comedic tone. And so I had to rewind a couple of times because the subtitles were going by faster than I could read them. I'm not ashamed to say I did the same thing, but there are so many jokes, though, and so many things that, like, even I think if you had watched it without subtitles, you could get the family dynamic just from the physicality. And I think that speaks to just the endurance of, of certain comedy archetypes. But, they, but they've done a really great job with them. Yeah. I obviously, I'm going to continue watching some of the first season. They've set up such a great next story in terms of Vasily's got to like stack his cabinet and, and his government. And his parents have already complicated that by promising all these jobs. And that's a great combination of a political satire plot that is, you know, on tone for the show, 
but keeps it very much in the family dynamic. And so it, it gave me peace of mind that they're not going to abandon these characters and move him into the presidential residence. And, and you know, we occasionally see mom and dad in the background. Like, no, it feels like they're going to be really integral to his life and that this is going to remain a story about him trying to be both an ordinary guy and the president of Ukraine. Right. They also hinted that he has an ex-wife and a son who we don't Mm -hmm. meet in the pilot. I love when pilots don't try to introduce you to every person in the world because that's just going to be a mess. Uh, So I I thought it was efficient about that in a way that teased me wanting to know more and wondering if that would also be, uh, you know, some of the material that they cover in later seasons, like potentially what it's like to be dating as the president, you know. Right. Uh, The other tonal thing I really like about the pilot is in between these uh, family dynamic moments and these flashbacks, those are kind of like there's three strains of story going on, three threads. There's the family, there's the flashbacks, and then there's kind of the A story, which is Vasily's first day on the job as he goes around with the, the outgoing president. And there they do some really wacky political comedy that almost feels out of Saturday Night Live in some moments. Uh, You know, he goes to a photo shoot for all the official presidential photos, and they're all in front of a green screen, and they just, you know, backdrop different constituents and scenarios, and then give him, like, a hard hat, and then they backdrop, like, construction site, and they're like, this is to show that you're pro-blue-collar construction workers, and here's one where you're pro-education, and they, like, hand him a baby to hold and put in a, a classroom backdrop real broad comedy in that way and kind of sketch comedy which is also sort of uh Zelensky's background as a comedian and I thought that integrated really well because those were very funny broad beats as we followed him through the other parts of his story yeah I liked the sort of mashing of the workplace comedy with him dealing with all these issues that is broader and more sketch and also then the the family comedy it's like it's a a good a good combination of types of sitcom but it didn't feel like anything was too far in a tonal shift yeah they tiptoed up to some some absurdity but never so absurd that i thought that's too much everything still felt like it was within the the kind of range that they wanted yeah, at least in this first season, it didn't seem like we're getting into like Ministry of Silly Walks satire, yeah. <laughs> but um, still pointing to the absurdity of these systems. Um, yeah, the the closest moment t- to me was the pr- uh, outgoing president takes him to have a bunch of like molds made, like a handprint and a footprint in like clay. And then they, they walk him up to another like big clay thing. And they're like, this is for the official coin. And it's a mold of your face. And, and for a second, I was like, that's a bit much. And then the outgoing president just like takes his hand to the side of Vasily's face and smashes his face into the clay. And I'm like, oh, he's pissed at him. It, it, was, it, yeah. was, a, it was absurd, but it was also completely rooted in the character dynamic. Because that whole day you're watching them go together. And I'm wondering, so is the outgoing president really trying to show him the rope? Or is he trying to sabotage him because he's so pissed off that this outsider won? Wait, I thought that he was the prime minister. Maybe sure. he was. I'm going to okay, be honest. Th- right? The- so there's a, th- there, right? So we both enjoyed it. There is definitely, there are definitely some moments that 
got lost in translation. Yeah, right? absolutely. And part of it is like we're an American audience watching it. I'm like, yeah, this must be the outgoing president. We don't have a, a system with a prime minister like that where it would occur to me like, oh, right, that actually might be the prime minister who sticks around. Right. Or some other official. But I think that just shows that I, I'm I'm not confident in saying either way. I might rewatch it because I'm sure I missed some jokes, too. Yeah, can we talk about my favorite joke that we missed? Because there's no yes. way we would know it because it is a language joke. Uh, one of the things that the outgoing or current prime minister, president person uh, takes him to is basically like a makeover. And he has to pick like a fancy European suit and he's got to pick like a great watch. And this is to make him look like, you know, a really expensive politician. And so he's choosing from a range of high-end watches and they have, you know, like a Rolex and a Cartier. And I, I, I'm not good at watch brands. It's like a Hubolt. I think it's a Hublot. A Hublot. Thank you, Jay-Z. <laughs> a Hublot. Thank you. The, the Hublot. And they say to him, you know, Putin, Putin wears a Hublot. And he goes, Putin's a Hublot? And, and I go, wow, so weird that there's this Putin reference in this episode. Turns out that that's a double entendre. Uh, Putin is a Hublot translates roughly to Putin is a dick. And apparently it's a popular anti-Putin chant. So very clever and still, you know, a juvenile, funny, but like with that political edge that I think really typifies the show. Fun fact, Servant of the People ran for exactly one episode in Russia. It got canceled after that episode, I think, because of that joke. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I'm guessing they didn't want to stick around and see what else was to come. I know, I'm, that's one of those ones where I'm like, I'm amazed that made it on to air at all in Russia. Well, I think that so the show ran in Ukraine from 2015 to 20 and wrapped up in early 2019, I think. When and he then, became president, basically. Which is when he became yeah. president. And then it aired in Belarus in November 2019 and Russia December 2019. Yes. So I'm guessing that all the buzz around his presidency sort of inspired yeah. that spread. And now uh, Channel 4 is going to air it in the UK as like a marathon this weekend, I think. They, they've jumped on the streaming rights and they, they want people to, to tune in immediately. And I think, uh, what would we say? Switzerland? Not Switzerland. Sweden? Sweden, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. Who do you think would pick it up in the US? Like, what's the, the US streaming home for this? What's the cosmopolitan streaming service? Is it Netflix? Is it, uh, you know, maybe like HBO Max because they've got a lot of political comedy with Veep and they, they're also now the home of the West Wing? I have heard that Netflix is really making a big push for international stuff. Yeah. So I could see that being a good fit at Netflix. I could also see HBO Max. I don't know. Would whatever streaming rights include rights to the IP for a possible... Maybe you know, that is why it's reboot? not here yet, is maybe somebody here is trying to, to get that deal. And I, and to be clear, the production company that uh, created the show is Zelensky's company. So you actually might be negotiating with Zelensky if you want to do that. And he has his hands full right now. So it might also be a yeah. situation where right now... All you can get are the rights to air the existing episodes. And maybe nobody thinks that that's valuable enough, especially because you can just stream them on, on YouTube for free at the moment. Yeah. I mean, if you are like we have been feeling this week, having trouble thinking about almost anything else, you can go marathon them on YouTube and just pause when you need to <laughs> yeah. to read the subtitles. 
and and honestly, if you do check it out, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can, again, email us, podcast at streamageddon.com. You can also send us your thoughts about the show we were originally going to review this week and will get to next episode. That is Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber, which airs on Showtime. We've both watched the pilot. We'll watch the second episode as well and talk to you about that on our next episode. So if you have questions or thoughts about Super Pumped or about Servant of the People, email us or you can find us on Twitter. Uh, I am at I am Chris Barlow. Diane is at Diane Nora. Diane with two N's. Until next time, listeners, stay safe and stay a servant of your people. У меня почти все есть, достоинство и честь, и даже крики браво. Персональный самолет мне выделил народ, а что имею? Право на животу, вот тут набьют тату, слуга народа.